Please rise in body or spirit for our call to worship. When I look to your heavens at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor.
may be seated. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us worshiping here in the sanctuary and those worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of God. And because it is in the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, that we have gathered, our word of welcome is one that is unconditional. Christ welcomes all, and so in his name do we as well. We are indeed glad and grateful to gather in the house of the Lord. I'd like to invite you for a time of fellowship on the 21st Street sidewalk at the conclusion of this service. You may get there by way of either exit. Uh, as you do, please take your communion kits and place them in receptacles that will be provided. Uh, note about those communion kits. Um, if you need one, if you didn't get one on the way in, just indicate now and an usher will bring you one. Just give them a sign. They will, uh, they will bring them forward for those who need them. I'd like two on the communion table, please. And... Um, and we will gather in communion together. Pro tip, we learned after the last time, definitely do the bread first, otherwise when you turn it over, the juice will drain out into your fingers. So uh, those are your, your tips on the communion kits and receptacles. A note about our live stream. I hope all of you have had an opportunity to experience it right now. We do know that we had a few glitchy weeks in there, and I wanted to give you a little bit of a, a word about that. Uh, we have been assured the problem is not on our side, it's on the host side. But in the event that you encounter glitchy tech for our live stream, if you will simply wait till the conclusion of the service and view the recording, it will be smooth as silk. What we've learned is we simply cannot turn it off and back on again while it is processed or else we will destroy the recording, which provides people the opportunity to worship at different times during the week. So we hope we don't have any more glitches. We think we've resolved them, but in the event that that's the case, just wait till later that afternoon and you should have a very clean recording from worship in the morning that you can view. A uh, quick reminder to everyone, masks are mandated in Philadelphia. Your worship leaders will only remove them when we are speaking, and so we ask our worshipers, please, to maintain that. Uh, with these things noted... Evensong. Thank you, Andrew is mumbling at me over here. There is a service of choral Evensong this evening, four or five. What do we decide? Four o'clock. Four o'clock here in the sanctuary. Service of choral, choral Evensong. We would love to see you here. Uh, because of COVID-19, we will not be providing the fellowship meal following that until a much later time. We'll, we'll revisit that later on. But hope to see you back here this evening for choral Evensong. Now with these things noted, let us continue our worship with a confession of sin. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God will not always accuse nor keep his anger forever. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Therefore, confiding in God's grace, let us confess our sins together and then in silence. Holy God, remind us of our baptism as we prepare to come to your table. Remind us that you have formed us with your own hands, made us in your own image, and placed us in this world to be stewards of your good creation. Given abundance upon abundance, we fail to see spiritual value in every aspect of our lives. We divide the world into spiritual and material, and think there are parts of our lives you don't care about. Created for generous living, we have retreated into fear of scarcity. 
Forgive our failure to live the way you made us to live. Renew within us the knowledge of your love, so that we may live joyfully, sharing what we have. For we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, who gave everything that we might live. as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made, he remembers that we are dust, and in Jesus Christ, God forgives. God has forgiven you. Believe in the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Let us pray. Almighty God, who has so patiently loved us, long sought us, and mercifully redeemed us, seek us again through the work of your Holy Spirit, that in the words of Scripture we may hear your address and yield ourselves, our will, and our works to you in thanksgiving for the gift of your love made flesh in Jesus Christ. Amen. The Old Testament is from the 11th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Listen for God's word to us this day. If you will only heed his every commandment that I am commanding you today, loving the Lord your God and serving him with all your heart and with all your soul, then he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, and you will gather in your grain, your wine, and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you will eat your fill. Take care, or you will be seduced into turning away, serving other gods and worshiping them. For then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit. Then you will perish quickly from the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall put these words of mine in your heart and soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to you and your ancestors to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. Thanks be to God. We are in week four of a five-week-long sermon series about topics that we are often told we shouldn't talk about, uh, things like sex and politics and money today. Uh, so you're invited, if you wish, to attend a talkback session in the McCall Room following the service at 1215, where our chief interrogator today will be our church treasurer, Craig Bodorf. We'll be delighted to see you there. Our lesson from, from the gospel comes from the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel narrative. These are a, a number of parables that Jesus is telling, and I picked one out in particular to represent the parables, and then, of course, Peter follows up with a question. Listen for the word of God as it comes to us today from the 12th chapter of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. 
And he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no room to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everyone? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and prudent manager whom his master will put in charge of his slaves to give them their allowance of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and... If he begins to beat the other slaves, men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That slave who knew what his master wanted but did not prepare himself or do what was wanted will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. For everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required, and from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. This is the word of the Lord. Eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you're interested in being eligible for the light beating, you should probably leave now, though I can't be certain you're not in too deep simply for having heard the lesson already. If we take Jesus seriously, 
We are on a collision course with what some might see as a hard reality that Christian faith actually has something to say about how we handle our money. There's no preacher's joke about the difference between preaching and meddling. I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. It goes like this. The preacher is preaching and the congregation's tracking along, affirming the message of the preacher with loud amens up until the point when she or he gets very specific. The joke ends with one occupant of the amen pew leaning over to the other and remarking, Well, now they've done quit preaching and gone to meddling. My aunt used to work for a bank, and she always said, if you want to make people mad, start talking about their money. You see, up until now, we've only been talking about politics, sex, and violence. When we start talking about money, it might begin to feel a little bit like meddling. But the truth is, how a Christian relates to money does matter. You may have heard somewhere along the way that money is the root of all kinds of evil. That is a misquote. What the Bible actually says is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. Sin is understood as a broken relationship with God where we have defaced the image of God on us as good creations and vandalized the good purposes for which God created us for right relationship with God and with neighbor as we have heard each week from the other lesson, a recitation of the great commandment or the Shema, the old Hebrew creed. It doesn't take too much imagination to populate a list with bad outcomes motivated by the love of money. This may seem a bit simplistic, but what we do with our money either contributes to the shalom of the world or it doesn't. There are three primary points I want us to consider about money and Christian faith today. The first is that what we do with it matters. The second is that we don't need to think about money from the vantage point of fear. And finally, that the claim of Christian faith on our financial lives should not be motivated by guilt, but rather gratitude. What we do with our money can be moral or immoral, but the condition of having money or not having money is value neutral, assuming that our gains are not ill-gotten. How we get our money and what we do with it when we have it is what renders spiritual value. If we make mistakes with money as Christians, it tends to be because we have forgotten that money has a spiritual component. Human beings have a persistent tendency to divide the world into things that are material and things that are spiritual and to expect that the two shall never meet. But that is a false dichotomy. 
Nonetheless, we tend to divide our lives into these compartments, and into the one compartment, things like prayer, worship, and service go, and we call that compartment spiritual. And then we lump other things into the material category that we deal with but don't think of as having spiritual value. Most people put money in that second category. This false dichotomy goes back to the Hellenization of the ancient Near East. With the Greeks came the notion that the material realm and the spiritual realm are somehow separate from one another. And what was deemed spiritual was of finer stuff and deserved our attention. And what was deemed material was bad, grubby, and lesser and should just be tolerated. Thought and prayer would go into the spiritual category and money and sex would be decidedly material. The problem with this viewpoint for a Christian is that it is decidedly unchristian. If we take seriously the Hebrew roots of our faith, it is clear that God makes no distinction between good creation and bad creation. When God makes the world and looks back over what God has made, in the end, it is all called good. And what's more, to make humankind, God got down in the mud. Remember, we weren't simply commanded into existence like the rest of creation. No, we were created into existence by the intimate act of God breathing life into us. It doesn't get much more material than that. There isn't a bit of humanity that doesn't have God's fingerprints all over it. So there isn't an aspect of our lives where God does not crave a deep and abiding relationship with us. God wants us to see the spiritual in every aspect of our lives because God does not divide the world into spiritual and material. And therefore, what we do with our money matters. God made this wonderful, good creation and set us into the midst of it as God's caretakers. And somehow, through the generations, the terms steward and stewardship have become associated with raising money for church operations, but we've lost something very important in limiting the concept of stewardship in such a way. In the Bible, the steward is the person who is charged with the responsibility of managing the assets of a household, no matter what the size of that household. The steward is an elevated figure in the house. Indeed, the master has given the most important responsibility to the steward. It is an honor to be a steward. We may be good stewards or bad stewards, but we are entrusted with the care of what God has given us. In the household that is this congregation, our session are the stewards of what God has given this congregation through your gifts 
and through the gifts of many who have come before us. God has given us abundance, and from that abundance, we have taken what we need, and that is how God intends it to be. And as much as the way we steward our resources contributes to the shalom of the world, to the balanced well-being of creation, it is exactly the way God intended it to be as our financial lives show love of God and love of neighbor. But passages like the one we read today can be a touch frightening, though, can't they? If we are fearful that our stewardship might leave us cruising for a bruising, no wonder it is a comfort to divide the world into spiritual and material. So if our decisions about money and faith are motivated by fear, we need to stop right now and back up. Now, I suspect that most, if not all of us, have at some point in time or another in our lives harbored at least a slight secret fear that parables like the one we read this morning might actually be evidence that God is secretly just a hair trigger away from whomping us. But that's not the point of this parable or any other parable like it. Taken within their larger context, this parable points us to the reminder that God is the gracious source of all that we have. Indeed, when Luke includes such a story as this, it is because he wants to intensify the claim of the gospel on our lives. With stories like these, Luke is practically yelling, Take this seriously. But at least it made Jesus' disciples a little uncomfortable, too. We're in good company. So much so that Jesus is asked, do you mean this about us? Or is it just about everybody else? And yes, he does mean it about us. But it's not to scare us. Jesus means it to help us get the seriousness of Christian discipleship and to remember that there is more to this world than the acquisition and disposition of stuff. And whatever the Bible has to say about God's hope and expectations of how we relate to the world with our money, it does so while unabashedly declaring that we are the subjects of tremendous grace. Everything we have, indeed everything we are, is a gift from God. That should leave us with no question how much God loves us. 
So we don't need to relate to money out of the fear that God is going to whomp us. That's not the point of this parable, and it's not the point of the gospel. What we do with our money shouldn't be motivated by fear, but instead motivated by what we can do that is good, what we can do that contributes to the shalom of the world, to the living out of that great commandment that is the heart of the law and the prophets, to love God and to love our neighbors, because that is the heart of grateful living, living like God has blessed us. And understanding that when God gives a blessing, it is to perpetuate that blessing by the living out in concentric circles out into the world that God has made and loves. That is the heart of grateful living. Living as though God has blessed us. Which brings me to that last part, not acting out of guilt. I once made a pledge to my local NPR affiliate because I realized that I had memorized the phone number for the dial-in pledge drive number. I had been listening for free for so long that I was even suffering through a pledge drive. So great was my addiction to Science Friday. I came to the epiphany that I had become a freeloader. But this isn't NPR, and I'm not Ira Glass. We are about the business of church here, and this is a place of grace. And so while it is my deep hope that the members of this congregation relate to money, live out our lives out of gratitude, and in so doing that the response to that gratitude is generosity to our church and to our communities, to the places where we live, the places where we do business, we needn't, we mustn't be motivated out of guilt. I've never forgotten a couple I knew in Indianapolis. Bill and Chris were their names, and they were just delightful. By the time I met them, Chris was in her late 80s, and Bill was in his early 90s. She had a, a gold Mercedes convertible that Bill bought her, quote, for their golden years, and she would ride around town with their dog, Lance, in the back seat with the top-down, blaring Bach over the speakers. I have it on good authority that Lance Jr. had once had his own seat on the Concord. I only ever met Lance the Fourth, but he was a very well-behaved dog. This gives you a sense of the sort of resources that, that Bill and Chris brought to bear on everything they did. You see, Bill had founded a law firm that cornered the market on one particular discipline of law and excelled in it so much that if you needed a lawyer to represent you in this field of law, your first stop was always Bill's firm. He commented to me once, I used to feel guilty about the fact that I had been financially very successful. And then I realized that I could do a lot of good with that money. He went on to say, I really don't have any gifts for teaching Sunday school, nor do I have the desire, and I am not cut out to volunteer to sort clothing for the clothes closet, but I am very good at making money. And I think that can be my contribution to the life of the church. 
I love to tell that story about Bill and Chris, partly because they were just so much fun to be around, because, but also because it highlights the truth that when we live our lives out of gratitude and not out of guilt, God can do wonderful things with what God has entrusted to our care. So let me put a really fine point on this. By definition, all recipients of God's grace are freeloaders. By definition. That's the way God set it up. That's the way God wants it. God didn't create a world where we have to try to earn God's love. No, God continually gives freely from the overflowing of God's love. We will never outgive God. Try if you like, but God will always be more generous. And that is the great good news of the gospel. That's what we're here to proclaim over and over again, to take into ourselves so that we live it out, out in the world, to proclaim in sermon and song to young and old that God made the world out of the overflowing of God's love, and God redeemed us because God wants a good relationship with us and wants us to have a good relationship with one another so we can indeed live out that great commandment. It's not a trap. It's not a bait and switch. It literally is what it is. And is not something else. It's a good gift given by a loving God. So here is the word that I have for us this week from the Lord about money. One, there is not a single part of our lives that God isn't interested in, including our money. And how we get it and what we do with it is what gives it meaning. Two, God does not want us motivated by fear. Three, God does not want us motivated by guilt. And finally, God does want us to live with gratitude. So if there is a carryaway from this sermon for you to live your life by this week, about money or anything else, it's this. It's all a gift from God. So here's your homework. Go out and live joyfully. And for God's sake, live generously. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Let us say what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a grateful giver. The offering plates await your generosity as you leave the service of worship today, even as the link does the same for those who are part of the congregation via live feed.
Eternal God, from the abundance with which you have blessed us, we return our offerings, asking that you would bless it and use it, and that in so doing we might see your kingdom at work among us. Through Christ our Lord we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Beloved in Christ, this is the joyful feast of the Lord. And scripture tells us that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Savior, who is on this World Communion Sunday, even now, the unseen host. We read from the pages of scripture that it was at table when the disciples first recognized their risen Lord as he blessed the bread and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him. It is even still to this table that we are invited to come and to know our Lord. Friends, this is not a Presbyterian table. It does not belong to First Church. This table belongs to none but our Lord Jesus Christ who calls all who calls you to come to the joyful feast of the Lord. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up the Lord. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe. In your wisdom you made all things and sustained them by your power. You formed us in your image setting us in this world to love and to serve you, and to live in peace with your people in every nation. When we rebelled against you, refusing to trust and obey you, you did not reject us, but still claimed us as your own. You sent prophets to call us back to your way. Then, in the fullness of time, out of your great love for the world, you sent your only Son, to be one of us, to reveal your suffering love for us, to redeem us, and to heal our brokenness. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with choirs of angels, with prophets and apostles and martyrs, and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. holy, O God of majesty, 
and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. He lived as one of us, knowing joy and sorrow. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, opened blind eyes, broke bread with outcasts and sinners, and proclaimed the good news of your reign to the poor. Bearing our infirmities and weaknesses, dying on the cross, he gave himself for the life of the world. Raised from the grave, he won for us victory over death. Seated at your right hand, he leads us to eternal life. We praise you that Christ now reigns with you in glory and will come again to make all things new. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and the fruit of the vine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer ourselves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. We remember the world of nations. By your Spirit, renew the face of the earth. Let peace and justice prevail. We remember the sick and the suffering, the grieving and the sorrowful. Accompany them and give them hope. We remember the communion of saints. Day by day, increase our gratitude for all your faithful servants and those dear to us whom you have called to the church triumphant. In union with your church in heaven and on earth, we pray, dear God, that you will fulfill your eternal purpose in us and in all the world, as together we pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Savior took bread. And when he had given thanks, as we have done in his name, he broke it. And said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Beloved in Christ, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast. 
Let us pray together once more. Eternal God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your loving embrace. Having now fed us at Christ's table, send us to be his body. Through Christ our Lord we pray all these things. Amen. of the most Christian attitudes toward money that I've ever seen comes at the end of the musical Hello, Dolly, where Dolly Levi has captured the heart of the town's notorious miser Horace Vandergelder, and she says to him, Horace, 
Money is like manure. It's not, much, it's not worth any good unless it's spread around, encouraging young things to grow. Let us live likewise. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.